0: grow yourself, and grow your marriage. Christian Jonna here with the Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage podcast. This is
1: episode number
0: 112. (sighs) Dang, that sounds kind of legit. Yeah, except for we should be at like 150 by now. We probably should be at like 200 by now. But yes. Okay. Welcome
1: back to our bi-weekly podcast.
0: (laughs) Almost monthly. (laughs) Stop. Okay. So before we get into this episode, you guys probably can tell by the title. So before we get into it. John, I wanted to give a quick update, kind of what's up, what's been going on with us. It has actually been longer than you would think since we've been on the mic because we recorded uh, the episode that we dropped literally like 10 days before we even dropped it. So we feel like rookies.
1: Yeah. So we actually haven't talked to you guys in recent, like in current situation, wait, but in current times in a while. So just really quick rundown on what's going on with us. Um, I know one of our more recent episodes, we talked to you about possible pregnancy condition. And I wanted to tell you guys that, praise God, so far, looks like don't have it. The other issue cleared up. So we are just sitting here pregnant, waiting to have this baby here in about. She's
0: pregnant. Correction. I'm, and about, I'm not pregnant. Because Chris is a male who cannot get pregnant. Um, Although there's quite <laughs> a debate about that these days.
1: I, that's how to get that get that in, but um, yeah, so we're sitting here, got about five weeks left at the time of this recording, and just thank you guys for reaching out about everything, because it looks like we're going to be okay. Um, secondly, this is longer than just an update, but um, we've had a lot going on lately. Do, do we want to go in? Sure, sure. Yeah, we've, we've had a lot going on lately. Um, I, there's no way to tell this story short, but my sweet little baby nephew, my sister's son, he is seven weeks old now, he just got out of the hospital after an over three week stay in children's because of a really crazy infection, um, huge masses on both sides of his neck and his throat. It's literally been a medical, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anomaly. Yeah. Yeah. It just, he went into the hospital at four weeks um, with this mass that was like two inches uh, wide and big and it was terrifying. And he had to have three surgeries in his little bitty short life and a bunch of IVs and a pick line and CAT scans and all this crazy stuff. And um, yeah, we've just been, <laughs> I'm telling you because we've been going through that and it's been really hard on my family. Um, at the same time, my grandpa also passed away during that time. And so Life has been chaotic per usual. I feel like every time we get on here, we have to tell you about how crazy our lives, our lives currently are. Um, but that's part of the reason why we have been MIA a little bit. Um, yeah. But they got to go home yesterday. Little Ronan is literally a miracle baby from the start. And I just, you know what, we have this platform. So if you hear this, I'd love it. If you would pray for him, that testing would continue to come back clear and that he just is a crazy baby who went through a really terrible infection, and now he's going to be super healthy and uh, pray for my sister as she tries to figure out what's next here because that was a traumatic. Super traumatic,
0: and other prayers for uh, her sister and our brother-in-law because, I mean, geez, Ronan was in the ICU for like, over three weeks, so I can't even wrap my head around what type of medical bills they're going to have. I literally don't know. Jonna started a GoFundMe for them, which if you feel led to give to that in any way, we will link it in the show notes so you can check it out. Because I uh, I certainly know that it would help them taking any financial burden off them with the medical debt.
1: Oh yeah, because she was already on an unpaid maternity leave, and because of all of the crazy Joe Biden mandates that are going on, um, we don't even know that she'll be going back to her job. So this, um, that, yeah, yes, the the. Should I? I guess that's kind of a long link to share. We'll put it in the.
0: Yeah, we'll put it in it in the show notes. Okay. Okay. So, there's our update. Okay, on to the episode. I'm going to put some sweet
1: music in there. Circus music. Oh, shoot. Maybe maybe
0: we'll just keep that in there. (laughs) I mean, it would be pretty. What I just did. Life is pretty much a circus. (laughs) Uh, All right. All right. We're back with the depression episode, guys. And before we get into this, I just want to say me and John are very, very honestly saying, hey, we're not giving you medical advice podcasting is about perspective i know in this day and age perspective can get a little hairy people get a little offended if you don't agree with them but hey this is our platform and we want to share with you guys kind of our story of depression some things that may have contributed to it and then encourage you to also audit these things in your life before making any hasty decisions
1: and overall to ask questions if you follow me on social media at all you know that's one of the biggest things I've been saying for really the last 18 months is, hey, ask questions before you just jump into X, Y, or Z, ask questions. And especially with, again, we're not giving medical advice, but when you are talking to a medical provider or when you're talking about your health in general, because depression has to do with your overall health, not just mentally, but physically, ask questions about what's going on. And like Chris said, kind of take an audit of, I I, I think we're so quick to just say it's a chemical imbalance. Here's some Zoloft. Have a good day. So (laughs) we want to talk about that. We want to talk about our personal experiences and once again, get a little bit vulnerable. So if you saw the title, maybe you clicked on this because you're experiencing a little bit of depression or you're curious about depression. Because look, let's face it. It's 2021. The last 18 months have been horrendous. For most people, in some way or fashion, and I would bet a survey would say depression is probably at an all time high right now.
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. So a lot of times, so it's it's interesting when you talk to people because they're like, um, I mean, maybe I've been depressed before. I'm not. I'm not particularly sure. So, so for you, Jonna, I know that we have been through postpartum depression as a couple. You've been through your own bouts of. Of uh, you know just personal depression, like how would you again? Because this is just a perspective conversation here. This is not like a medical. Oh, here's exactly what depression is. But in your experience, what were what what were some of the things or signs that people could be like? Oh shoot, I guess I am feeling maybe depressed.
1: Well, it's interesting because I think I want to say this right off the bat: is depression is not a one size fits all diagnosis for anybody. There's no two people I would assume would have the same type of depression or the same reasons for their depression or the same level of depression. And I think I think a lot of times when you hear that word, at least before ever experiencing it myself, you think somebody who is crazy or mentally unstable or suicidal or somebody who's just like... I don't know, Eor, or you're <laughs> like, Eeyore. Eeyore, like <laughs> sitting around just really sad and mopey all the time. And I think you'll find a lot of times that's not really it. Depression comes in waves and in stages. And, um, it's not just somebody who's sitting in the corner crying all the time. Now it can be depending sure. on what you have. So like you said already in the beginning, this is our story and our perspective and what we know about it. And, um, Depression for me looked like, well, I've gone through it a couple different times. I went through post traumatic stress disorder, which is a form of depression when I was like 20, and that affected me in one way. And then what I think I'm going to focus on today, though, is postpartum depression because that's the most relevant after our second child, which was my worst bout of it. And for me, that looked like extreme mood changes, um, extreme irritability and anger, a rage that you don't really think of. Again, I think most people usually think sadness when they think depression. Um, I had an irritability and a rage that would build up in me. Um, Intrusive thoughts, uh, feelings of just hopelessness and not wanting to do anything, not wanting to go anywhere. Some days it looked like not wanting to get out of bed, but usually you can't really do that when you have little people um, re-, re reclusing, just pulling away from people you care about, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. That's my personal experience more than just the sadness. I mean, there's a sadness right. too.
0: Right. And then for me, even though it's not anywhere near probably the severity that you dealt with, for me, it was kind of like a numbness i was I was numb and I was looking for an escape and my escape because of my exhaustion from being an entrepreneur and work and stuff like that. My escape was sleep so i I was running my gym in between sessions I would catch like hour naps and one point I feel like I was taking like four naps a day just in the middle of my gym floor and I was like whoa something is going seriously wrong and it's interesting because you could look at my life then and be like well I was making good money and I was impacting my community and I was doing what I always thought I wanted to do but there was just something off that was uh, that was contributing to that and so as as we kind of dive into this really our intent here is to say okay what things could be contributing to your depression? Like Jonah said, this is not a one-size-fits-all by any stretch of the imagination, but, uh, but, but what things could be contributing? And, and the first one that everyone's like, oh, yeah, duh, makes sense, could be my fault, could, could be from, from something else, would be the chemical side of things.
1: Well, I think that's probably what somebody thought when we're like, Hey, what do you think of when you think of depression? Somebody probably was like, Oh, chemical imbalance. Because I think that's a term that gets thrown a lot around a lot. And well, we're not going to sit here and try to break down what a chemical imbalance is and is not because we're not, that's not our area of expertise. But what we found is but there's some
0: obvious things that, you know,
1: there's, yeah, there's obvious things that contribute to that. So why don't you break down the chemical part and then I'll kind of break down my experience with the doctor and stuff.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, so something like I, I mentioned earlier, we want to go to the Bible and be like, hey, the Bible is relevant, believe it or not. And so I want to first kind of start off with this. So in the Bible, there are tons of people who deal with depression. One in particular that is highlighted is Elijah. So, without going into his whole story. Elijah was a prophet. Uh, but basically, Elijah did this amazing, amazing thing for God by by showing who God was and actually bringing fire down from heaven and making another God look I mean, well,
1: proving that another, proving an,
0: another God was false. right. Proving, proving another God was false, right? So he does this big old thing, which I'm sure he was probably like on cloud nine. And pumped about life, uh, like yeah, okay, in front sweet. of his
1: enemy, he called down fire from <laughs> right. heaven and burned stuff. Like, I think you'd feel pretty powerful if you did that, right?
0: Exactly. So, Elijah is probably in a pretty good headspace at that point. But in the scriptures, it actually talks about how he falls into a depression, right? And the way things were used, verbiage wise, is it says, "Look, he was he was exhausted, right? He was exhausted. He was completely worn down." Uh, and he was uh, he was feeling hopeless. He literally came to a point where he prayed in First Kings 19. He prayed and said, like, God, just take me now. He's just like, I'm done. He literally slumped down in front of a tree and was like, God, take me. I am ready to die. So, if you don't think that's depression, I mean, come on, right? So, Elijah's All because
1: some woman was coming after him oh,
0: after God. that. I mean, it was a little more <laughs> I
1: know, but he should not have been scared of her after. I think it's just cool. I think <laughs> it's just funny because it just ha- shows how stupid we are as humans. Like, God was just with you. He helped you call down fire, and now you're scared this woman's going to kill you?
0: Well, so he 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 had a whole army against him trying to find him and kill him, which, I mean, I would assume you'd have a pretty heavy level of anxiety, right? But
1: you called down fire.
0: I know, but... You but know God's on it your side. doesn't mean God's not going to, you know, uh, allow some suffering in your life, right? right? But he, so. so he
1: wanted to take the easy way out. He's like, just kill me now,
0: <laughs> right? Well, I guess when you get to heaven, you can uh, let him know how weak you thought he was. Isn't he the only one <laughs> who never
1: actually died? A physical <laughs> he did death, not die, which no. is ironic
0: since, since he prayed
1: that, anyways.
0: I know, right? God's so, a character. He is okay. So Elijah was exhausted. Let's let us let us start with with that part, and this will kind of lead us down the chemical path. Okay, so. So, what did God do? God actually sent angels to minister to his physical needs, right? So, he miraculously provided him with food and drink. And he's like, hey, eat, eat, okay? Focus on your nutrition right now. Nourish your body because there's something going on with you. And instead of God snapping his fingers and saying, hey, mm, you're no longer depressed, and of course he could have done that, right? right? But don't you think God knew the practicality of Potentially an imbalance in his body. You don't think God knew that nourishment and food would impact his hormones in a positive way? I mean, come on, right? So the scriptures literally show God ministers to his physical needs. He sends an angel, miraculously provides him with food and drink. And then the next thing he tells him to do is he tells him, he's like, look, rest. You've got to rest. You've got to chill. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on here. I need you to get some sleep. I need you to rest your mind, your brain, your soul, everything. And so after, after he gets him to eat, he says, rest. Okay. Um, you you know, calm down, just like chill out. Right. That's another chemical piece. Right. So now we're talking about sleep. He then sends him on a journey and is like, you know what? You've eaten, you've rested. Let's go. So he he tells him to get up. He sends him on a journey. He sends him to a cave and he's just like, look, spill your guts, man. He's like, tell me everything that's happening. Vent your frustrations to me. I got this. I can handle this. I'm the God of the universe. You can get mad. You, you, you can get sad. It doesn't matter. You know, just spill it all to me. And Elijah spills everything out to him, right? So the interesting Therapy. part, what? Right. Therapy, Therapy right? So all of these things you see and you're like, okay, So God said, eat, right? Again, God understood the practical level of, well, what what we know now and and what we've physically, sorry, scientifically been able to realize is, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but serotonin is a happy hormone in your body. 90% of your happy hormone in your body is produced in your gut based on what you eat, right? So now we look at, The chemical side of depression, and we're like, huh, interesting. So let's let's ask this question: If you have been in a place where you are depressed, something you want to check—a gut check, (laughs) get it? Pun intended. Uh, Would be what are you nourishing your body with? Because your gut plays a huge role in this. Right, nerd out, Chris.
1: Nerd out. So here's where I think that doctors are getting it wrong. I said it. I know that's such an offensive thing to say right now that human beings in a profession could get something wrong. Uh, because in my personal experience, more than one time at of going to my doctor and saying, hey, I'm feeling I just feel off. I think at the time this was after our second. I didn't know exactly how to explain it. But I'm just like, I feel off. I had had postpartum anxiety after our first and probably combined with a little bit of depression. Uh, and so when I went in after our second and I said, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling irrational. I'm feeling these mood swings. I'm feeling withdrawn, whatever. Um, I can remember the doctor just looking at me from just those couple of things and saying, yep, you got postpartum depression. And because you've experienced depression before, I would recommend that you uh, get on this antidepressant. And I said, okay, but you know, for how long is this just to manage me to a certain point? What else can I do? I really don't want to live forever on a pill. And she was so sweet, but she, she was just like, well, you have experienced it before. So usually if you've gone through depression or been on antidepressants before, we say you pretty much, you're somebody who just chemically you're imbalanced and you've got to live on them. And that's wrong. And that's just, that's just wrong. I don't, I don't care. I'm not a doctor. That's just wrong. It's not true. We didn't address anything else going on in my life. Nothing. I didn't take so much as a questionnaire, let alone, you know, some kind of a a psyche (laughs) test or blood work, or she didn't ask me about my nutrition or my movement or my relationship or any of these things that could be affecting my postpartum depression. And I think that's such a miss because Well, for a lot of reasons, but also because different, I didn't know this, but antidepressants, they're not all the same. They affect different parts of your brain and different, there are four different forms of depression, I guess, right? The different chemicals like the serotonin or the dopamine or whatever. And so doctors are just prescribing, well, we know Zoloft is for this kind, like this is for depression. So here, take some Zoloft and live on it forever and hopefully it'll manage manage your symptoms, even though a lot of these antidepressants, a side effect of them are suicidal thoughts and other manic behavior. So that's a little bit of my rant. I'm not saying, again, this is my perspective. At that time, though, I did not understand that my doctor did not have all authority over me and was not maybe always right and that I could ask further questions. So I said, oh, okay, that really stinks. I guess I am a crazy person and I've got to live on pills forever. That was how I left that appointment. But for me personally, those pills didn't change all the other things that were impacting my postpartum depression. All they did was numb me in all forms. They, they don't, they don't just target the sad feelings. They also targeted my happy feelings. I can remember that, that first year of my of our second child's life feeling like man I don't I don't have any joy I don't feel that happiness and that joy that I should feel as a mom who has these wonderful healthy kids and you know my husband runs a successful gym and all these things look good on the outside but I didn't feel anything I was very very numb and so I just did Alina. Just Lena, Lena takes a big breath breaths. <laughs> oh my gosh! In between yes. everything, my 3 says. old
0: it, She's so excited about it. So, so Dad, can uh, maybe we uh, play Barbie? <laughs> listen, and uh, dude, it's so funny. Dude, it's so funny. <laughs> anyway, she really does. So, so yes, so that is a piece of the puzzle from a chemical perspective. Look, we have to look and check into these boxes, right? So, so the eating side. It's like, look, our gut is super, super important. You look into the body, and you're like, okay, if this is where. If this medication is trying to enhance my happy hormones, where else are my happy hormones produced? Oh. Oh.
1: Well, and that leads me to so that was in 2017 ish. Uh, I started having some really weird. Well, I've I've always gone on random bouts of strange, unexplainable health issues. I'm I'm breathing like Lena. It's because <laughs> I'm eight months pregnant. I can't breathe. Right. Um, so I, I started going through some other health things, like liver enzymes were really elevated. We couldn't figure out wh- why, and just random stuff like that that nobody could really figure out why. So later on, as Chris learned, started learning more about hormones and about just real, real health, like gut health. Um, probably what 2018 or 19, mm-hmm. I went through, and I've talked about this before, but I went through a bunch of testing from a functional doctor. Um, from their lab where they tested my blood work and they tested um, food allergens and heavy metals in my body and parasites and all these crazy things. And a bunch of stuff came back saying that I had issues there. Like I had high levels of aluminum in my body and I had a severe intolerance to things like gluten and eggs and dairy and things that I was eating all the time. And all of these things Impacted my brain, impacted the serotonin in my body. And I remember that moment feeling like this huge bout of hope. And this is what I'm, this is kind of my goal here with talking about this is that somebody will feel some hope that you don't, if you've been told like I was, hey, you just got to live on pills the rest of your life because you have a chemical problem. Like that may not be so. So I remember getting all these labs back saying all these issues I had, which you would think you'd be like, oh, that sucks. But it didn't. It made me happy. It made me feel like I had hope. It made me feel like I wasn't broken. I can remember thinking back to my deepest, darkest depression and being like, oh my gosh, this this doesn't have to be like this because I because we had our third child at that point. And, uh, I don't know. It just functional doctors did things that other doctors did not. They took me through tests to figure out the root of why my brain was not functioning the way that we wanted it to, why I wasn't experiencing joy and things. So,
0: yeah. So again, the gut is a big piece of the puzzle and I'm glad you expand on that stuff because it is important to relate with people and then help them understand like, okay, well, I think it's perfectly logical, even though you might be like, well, you guys are bashing doctors. No, we're not. It's perfectly logical to say, doctor, this is your solution. Where did you get this solution? Because it has been said oftentimes that, a lot of the medical field now is like, hey, I'm teaching you how to match a symptom to a drug. And I think there's a lot of evidence of that. We're not just saying that, right? There's a lot of evidence of that because one medication leads to another and another and another. And you, you got to look at some of these medical professionals and say to yourself, self, if I spent $200,000 on an education, I think I would want to really invest myself in everything they were telling me to do. And I would have a, A sense of proudness to say, like, oh, no, 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 do not question me. And so, again, not bashing doctors, just saying, look, if this is their method, where did they get that method? What's the root of the root of the root of the problem? And then say, how do people deal with this back then? Right. Which leads to another piece of the chemical uh, part of this, which is sleep. So, look, God said, Elijah, eat, right? We look at the gut and how important it is. Also, not to mention, you look at women and postpartum depression. Well, don't you think their gut would be wrecked from C sections and from having a baby? Of course, right? All of that gut microbiome would be totally jacked up. So, gut's important, but sleep, okay? Sleep is a massive piece of the puzzle. There have been a lot of people who have said, ah, it's cool. I'll sleep when I die. Well, good luck because you're going to die early if you don't sleep. So, sleep has the highest level of immunity protection out of anything you can possibly imagine. So you think God didn't know that Elijah's hormones would improve from sleep? You you think God didn't know that he would be rejuvenated and feel a lot better if he was consistently nourishing himself and sleeping correctly? Here's why, okay? So from a sleep perspective, I've done studies on sleep. I've read books on sleep. I've taught on sleep and all this stuff. I'll keep it kind of simple because I do get a little nerdy with this. A little. Let's start here. So, so there's these things called natural killer cells in our body from an immune system perspective. And basically what we want is what, what happens rather is the more natural killer cells you have in your body the more immunity you have, right? Because let's just imagine, you know, 100 million natural killer cells going through your body while you're sleeping, you know, killing cancer cells and killing all of these negative, uh, negative cells that, that are trying to hurt you, okay? Well, the more you sleep, the bigger that army of cells is, okay? So, if I'm sleeping more, that army of cells is bigger, i.e., I have much higher immunity from disease and sickness and even COVID, right? So, I know, careful. So, it's really important that we realize that the immune function of sleep is like through the roof. And I mean, there's way more I could say about that, but Jonna usually tells me to keep it snappy.
1: No, I think that's good for people to know. And I think it's also anybody who's a mom is like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Sleep alone is killing my ability to um, be normal.
0: Yeah. So a lot of people like, well, can't do that. For some reason I can't sleep at night. This, that, and the other. Trust me, they're the simplest things. I've, I've literally taken people who were getting like three hours a night of sleep, who went to sleep clinics, took all the pills they could possibly think of. And then I had them do like five or six really simple things. And they're like, dude, I'm sleeping eight hours a night really not rocket science.
1: Which again is the frustrating thing about the medical field right now. And I'm not saying all doctors, but evidence shows a lot of them are like, Oh, you can't sleep. Here's Ambien, you know, instead of saying, okay, let's figure out why you can't sleep. What are you eating? What are your, what are your activities like before bed? Are you on a screen? Are you experiencing this or that? Are you stressed? You know, there's so many things to dive into. And I think that's a big thing we want to push during this episode is again, to ask questions and do an audit on yourself because you're not just broken, okay? You're just not. Like, yes, yes. you might have something going on in your brain, but it's not just unfixable. It's an
0: unfixable word. It is now. Okay. We have a podcast. Anything we say becomes official, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so eat, rest, okay? Another piece of rest breaks down to the stress component, right? So if we were to break this into – uh, nutrition, sleep, and stress, just between eat and rest. So you you got to look at back in the day and you got to look at now. We are so overstimulated and all this ties together, believe it or not. Okay. So we look at the stress component and we're like, man, yeah, we're always stressed. We're always busy. We're always overstimulated. There are so many things that contribute to that. Not only blue lights and screens, but then we have the foods we eat, which you know wreck our bodies, wreck our guts, all that stuff. We have, we have stimulants like caffeine that we overdo and we, yeah, John's face literally is just a thinking little, grain? Right? <laughs> so, so we have stimulants that we overdo and we fatigue our adrenals. We have, um, we have so many things, not, not getting enough sunlight, which also translates to better hormones and building sleep pressure at night and all and that stuff. And
1: your immune system, vitamin D.
0: Exactly. So, So many things contribute to this, right? But the stress component, I would urge people to realize this. Let's ask ourselves this question. Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm just asking this question. Why are our kids so depressed? Our kids, I would say, are so depressed, in my opinion, my perspective. Ask this question. How much stimulation does my kid get on a daily basis from screen time, from like, how, how often is my kid's body in a fight or flight mode all the time? When do they have time to relax and let their brain recover? Because what happens is when we're looking at our phone screens or doing whatever, our dopamine levels are through the roof, right? And we're and we're constantly seeking more dopamine, more dopamine, more dopamine. So what happens is those, those reward centers in your brain start to fry, like completely fry. And then you're looking for more and more and more. So your your brain's scrolling your newsfeed and it's like, oh, new, novel, interesting, right? Ooh, YouTube video, this, that, and the other. You wonder why YouTube now has every cut, you know, every, you know, vibrant color and all of these different things. They have to keep your attention, right? Because we have so much technology in our face all the time that our literal reward centers are getting fried. Our kids don't know how to be bored anymore. They do not know how to be bored and it's causing major depression because they always think that they're supposed to have something to stimulate them. And when they don't or when they've literally reached the peak and fried those those reward centers, they fall into depression. Well, and it's not just our
1: kids. Just go anywhere. If, if you see somebody waiting in line, even waiting at stop signs, stop lights, waiting in line for a bathroom, just anywhere, waiting in line for food you see them pull out their phone, they can't hardly just stand there and look around and communicate with people. And I think that's another contributor to the feeling of loneliness and depression because you can be standing in line at Chipotle surrounded by a bunch of people who at least have in common with you that you guys like a burrito, but you can't even hold a conversation with them because you feel like you have to look at your phone instead of making eye contact. I mean, people are getting, I don't know, more and more and more Isolated. Whoa. Dang, did you hear that? I heard that Crap. right in the microphone. It's that, good. It's usually me that's making that. Was a little burp. Yeah. Anyways, um, I think that's a big reason why a lot of people feel that feeling of depression, not just kids. I think this is the most depressed and anxious generation ever.
0: Yeah. The the chemical piece is massive, guys. It's massive. And then from a stress perspective, you also break down digestive stress. And you're like, Oh wait, that relates to the gut. Oh, okay. Got you. So there are so many issues happening in people's bodies where they have different levels of stomach acid, which is causing them to not be able to produce hormones that make them happy, all that stuff. So again, when God was like, eat, rest, relax yourself. He knew what he was talking about because now we see through the science like, Oh dang, this is crazy. You you mean like your, your gut communicates with your brain. And these things all tie together and sleep matters and all this stuff. It's not just a suggestion. Okay. Well,
1: I think the creator
0: of the human body
1: should know how to heal the human body. You think? You know, I was just thinking about something. So we said that This is the most anxious and depressed generation, and there are studies that show that. I don't have one to cite right now, but I know I've read that, and it's pretty clear to see it. Just look around. I mean, people are crazy right now. Um, But you know what? We're talking about Elijah. So, Elijah was around 2,000 years ago, biblical times, and depression was around then. There's other characters from the Bible we can talk about, but what's interesting to me is modern medicine has only been around for what?
0: Like 100 years or something? Something
1: like that but depression has been around since the beginning of time. And so let's go back and look, how did people survive before? Because if we're the most depressed and anxious we've ever been right now, I would have to say something we're doing is not working. And if you can go back and look at previous times, they had to get through it somehow. Not everybody was just dying of depression back then. So,
0: right. Exactly. And to, to kind of move us forward into the second component of, uh, of this and what could cause, be causing it to finish this out after he said, eat, rest. He said, look, get up, go, go on this journey. He sends him on a journey and you got to think like, hey, God wants me to move. God wants me to move. He knows how important it is for me to have purpose in something. He knows how important it is for me to, to uh, go and be shooting towards something, right? I don't think guys that God has called us to just stay in a season of like well oh, th- this is what I do and this is how I do it. Yes there's a level of contentment we have to find. I feel like there's a balance. There's always a balance. We never want to be like, "Oh, I just want more money and more this and more that and more that." More can be a little much sometimes because there are seasons of contentment, but we are called to a purposeful life. A purposeful life like why did God create us? Why are we still on this earth? What what is the purpose? And so Elijah seeks him. He vents his frustrations. He gets mad. He gets frustrated. God's like, I can handle it. I got that. Which again, like John mentioned earlier, look, yeah, therapy, right?
1: Therapy. Or prayer. I mean therapy. Yeah, and, therapy. And prayer. prayer.
0: Like, yes, you can't just bottle this stuff up. Whatever's happening, you can't just bottle this stuff up. And I think this piece will kind of tie together a t- together. <laughs> together. This piece will kind of tie together a lot better. Moving into component number two. That would be. So, number one was chemical. The next is spiritual.
1: Spiritual. So, spiritual. There's a lot to unpack here, and we've already talked for a long time, but this is important. So, Elijah went to God, and he talked to him, which is how today he would say we pray. We pray about what's going on, and for us as Christians, we ask God to guide us. We ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us with whatever it is that we have going on. But what we don't what what a lot of people don't know is there is a spiritual warfare happening. There's no neutral ground in this, in this world. There's good and there's evil and there's no in-between. And that might that this portion might sound a little crazy to people, but it is what it is. The Bible says we do not fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against <laughs> Uh I don't have the version. Spiritual principalities. Yeah. So why this matters, why this is a part of this depression episode is a lot of mental health is actually spiritual, is actually affected by things that you're doing in your life or that we're doing in our life that allow this sounds so voodoo y or whatever, right. but like bad spirits in.
0: Yeah, d- demonic spirits. So I think sometimes the church gets this wrong because they're like, oh, you must have a demon in you. It's not, it's not always the problem, right? So we talked about the chemical piece and even the God of the Bible and the God of everyone who created of everyone on earth, okay, said, hey, let's focus on these practical matters first. Let's let let's look into the chemical pieces, which we just covered. But the spiritual side, this is real, Right. This stuff does happen. So a question that we want to ask ourselves here is what habitual sin might exist in our lives that has left a gate open for demonic oppression?
1: <laughs> if, if you're not a Christian or if you're a newer Christian, this probably sounds so intense. A lot of what we've, so a lot of this is personal experience, but also we've been reading a book called The Bondage Breaker uh, by Neil Anderson.
0: Neil T. Anderson, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's been kind of helpful in guiding us to understanding uh, as Christians, we should look at the spiritual warfare side of things and not just jump to a chemical imbalance because we are not just fleshly bodies here. And sin, habitual sin, is is a is a breeding ground for the devil to get a foothold in your life. And so, for example, what is what is a habitual sin? So, um, being drunk all the time. Their alcohol liquor is called spirits, which is interesting. I don't know if that actually is the reason why, but the Bible says, you know, don't get don't get drunk on wine. Don't be a drunkard. And when you whenever you are, your inhibitions are lowered. As you know, if you've ever been intoxicated before, you're not all there. I mean, there were times where Chris would tell me things that I would say when I was highly intoxicated. I'm like, I don't understand. That's not even me. How was my body there, but my brain? And the things I said and did were not there. And that's kind of scary because it gives an opportunity for as crazy as it sounds for spirits or for the devil and his little army here to get a foothold in your life because you're not um, of sound mind to be in line with what God wants in the Holy Spirit. So for me, when we were at our lowest, when I was suffering from postpartum depression, I still was living in a habitual sin of Many weekends drinking too much. I mean, we had kids, so it's not like I was going out partying all the time. but when I did, I was opening that gate and um, trying to drown my loneliness or my depression or whatever in a bottle of wine. And uh, that is one way I believe that I was still allowing um, oppression in in our lives um, and also there was pornography that was in our house from time to time that was allowing. Um, darkness in our house. And people, I mean, if you're like, go back to our porn episode to listen to that and how we feel about porn and why it affects you. But these kinds of things open the gate. I mean, like I said, there's no neutral ground. So if Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is in your home, then, you know, that's good. But if you're allowing things that he detests in your home, you're opening it up to evil.
0: Yes. No, perfectly said. Because, So, we talk about the habitual sin part, right? So, Tony Rose had a lot to say on this. He said, look, here are are three things you can pinpoint as a self-audit for the spiritual side of depression. One, do you love God and hate sin? Right? Let's start there. Do you love God and hate sin? So, Sin is attractive, right? Sin is attractive. A lot of times, the reason people won't turn to God is because they're like, dude, I love my sin, right? I don't want to give up
1: partying. I don't want to give up
0: pornography. If if sin wasn't attractive, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't have a problem with it, right? So clearly it's going to be attractive and our our, our flesh is going to desire it. But what happens a lot of times, not all the time, but it's something that we should definitely check the box after the chemical piece is, okay, what gates are open do I love God and hate sin? In other words, am I willing to give up the habitual sins that are making me fall on a daily basis? The guardrails that God set up for me. Am I am I am I crossing over those because I think I know better? I'm like, "You know, it's fine. Only looking at porn once a week." There's plenty of guys who are addicted to it looking at it for 5 hours a day. Nope. That doesn't cut it, dude, right? Oh, that that that's okay. I only get drunk on the weekends. I don't get drunk every day, right? Nope. Still doesn't cut it. You know what I mean? Like we we always put our eyes on ourselves and we think I know better than God. It's cool. Yeah, God's cool. Hopefully I'll go to heaven someday, but you know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do.
1: Well, you made a good point. We compare ourselves to others instead of comparing ourselves to God's standard. It's really easy to be like, "Well, I'm not how I used to be. I'm not partying all the time. I just get drunk sometimes." Or like you said, I'm not cheating on my spouse. I'm just looking. And so compared to that guy over there, I'm better. So I'm probably going to heaven. That's not how it works. And I can remember having the feeling of, I would go out on a, again, I wasn't able to go out all the time. Let's be real. I've freaking had little babies, but I can remember there were a handful of times where I would go out on the weekend and I would wake up and feel guilty about what I did. And then I just like, oh, well, God, there's no sin. God won't forgive. So, okay, God, forgive me. And then I'll go to church and it would be fine. But I wasn't truly, I was still in the earlier stage stages of my seeking God. And I'm realizing now my heart was still not changed. I did not hate my sin. And let's just be clear, drinking alcohol is an open-handed issue in the Bible, which means there's a lot of different views and there's no one way to say, Like God doesn't say, don't ever drink a sip of alcohol. It says, don't be drunk. So I just want to make that clear because I still have a glass of wine occasionally or whatever. And I'm not saying that. I think that, I don't know. It's a big argument. It's an open-handed issue. It's something that you use your own convictions and discernment on based on your relationship with God. But it's very clear. He says, do not be a drunkard. And that was a habitual sin. Also, there's other ways that you can be opening up, opening yourself up to dark spirits. And that is a lot of the new agey stuff that's happening right now is a way that the devil is sneakily getting in there, especially with some Christians. And I would say more progressive Christians with things like crystals. You guys probably see there's a lot of crystal rock things going on right now because they're pretty. And they're like, I see people talking about chakras and crystals and charger crystals and keep them in your house for, I don't even know. Good energy. Good energy and stuff like that. And um horoscopes and psychics and mediums and tarot cards and Ouija boards. Some of that stuff, you're like, okay, yeah, I figured that that wasn't good. But all those kind of new agey occultic type things. I've seen Christians want to dabble in. Um, I feel like we call her out all the time. Miss Rachel Hollis yeah. claims to be a Christian who I think more and more the fruits of her life are saying that she is not, but I'm not one to judge, right? But she posted a thing about crystals and stuff. And I'm just thinking, you're leading people down a slippery slope because that is very clear. God is very clear about those types of things because believe it or not, again, the Bible is not outdated. He knew. He talked about these things 2,000 years ago, talked about mediums and horoscopes, astrology, and these type of things that are not are not of God. You're seeking special knowledge outside of god and that's wrong and it might feel like it's just something fun to do or the rocks are just pretty but if you're using them for special knowledge or energy and stuff you are potentially most likely opening yourself and your home up to dark spirits
0: yeah definitely and i know there's someone listening like dude you guys are off your rocker because we literally felt the exact same way when we heard people talk about occultic stuff like that's so like Come on, stop! You're you're being too much. But then, when you actually give yourself a second to, to ask for discernment and be like, "All right, God, what do you say about these things? Like, are these really things that could invite uh, demonic spirits into our lives?" And then it becomes really evident. God shows you, like, "Oh yeah, this this stuff is wrong." And then there's tons of scripture to back it up and be like, "Okay, look, like we we are not supposed to mess with this stuff." So. So yes, the, the spiritual side, the habitual sin. Um, Tony Rose, like I said, he mentions, look, do you love God and hate sin? He also said, um, what habitual sin exists in your life, which which we, which we are trying to cover here. So again, let's audit these things back from the top. Say, look, chemical, sleep stress, nutrition, movement. Am I checking these boxes? Right. And then the second piece of the puzzle is like, okay, do I love God and hate sin? Does habitual sin exist in my life? What is it like, God, I'm struggling with this. I feel like there's no hope, but show me, give me discernment on the things I'm doing. Show me what could be, you know, causing issues in my life. What, what, what could be taking hold? What gates are left open in my life? Uh, with anything I have. And I think this even includes idolatry. So uh, this might sound psycho to some of you, but anything that we are totally prioritizing over God can overtake us, right? In tons of ways. So I used to be like massively addicted to sports, to video games, to all this stuff. I'm not saying evil spirits infiltrated my life because of these things. But what I am saying is, if the devil can't get a hold of you, he can distract you. He can distract you from what's important. I think, I think we look at our lives, and our pastor just said the other day, and and we've always believed this busyness is a badge of honor, right? So we are so so we're constantly like, okay, busyness is a badge of honor. And what happens, I think, a lot of times is okay, we're distracted from what's really happening. It's okay, let's go make the money, let's go do this, let's go, you know, on. Uh, on the vacations and, and spend our time, you know, just building our life and doing all this stuff. And that's not a bad thing, but I think there's a massive distraction in our lives to say, like, am I, am I really ready? Am I ready for, for, you know, to, to stand before God and, and actually be judged based on how I'm raising my kids or how I'm leading my family. Am I, am I ready for any persecution that could come to the church in my generation am i ready could i stand strongly on my convictions and the word of god and all the crazy things happening right now am i ready for those things or am i distracted by worldly things because to, to think deep for a second if we ask ourselves dang i could be putting all my eggs in the basket of wealth or i could be putting all my eggs in the basket of you know climbing a corporate ladder or or something that is distracting me from my, my true purpose as a husband or my true purpose as, uh, you know, just a believer. And I could totally miss the boat here. I could totally miss the boat because everything could be taken away from me in one day and everything I'm putting my hope in is completely gone, right? So, oh shoot now, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but these are things the Bible talks about. We should always be ready. We should always be ready. So, I mean, we we see how crazy things are right now, right? Let let's talk about the mandates, you know, all these things that are happening, it could quickly spiral out of control. To be like, okay, look, can't buy, sell, or trade without a vaccine. Oh shoot, what does that mean for a lot of people, right? And hopefully, a lot of people would stand up and say, nope, this is a medical freedom choice thing. But there are so many routes that, so many things that could happen, guys, where our world gets turned upside down. Look at Australia right now. If you're in, if you're in Australia, oh my goodness, seriously, praying for you. Like, oh my goodness i'm seeing so much footage and so many crazy things of just total tyranny and oppression do do you think those people like it just one day like oh my job's gone all that stuff no like it slowly happens but the point i'm trying to make is we have to be ready we have to have our hope in something that is important and not get so distracted right that was long but i was trying to talk while you were in the bathroom
1: You didn't have
0: to call me out. I I, Eight months pregnant. I can't make it through a whole hour
1: without having to go to the bathroom. I called you out. Yeah, exactly. And so when we look at spiritual warfare, like, okay, well, how do you fight spiritual warfare? Well, it's literally a war. And in the Bible, God calls us to suit up. He calls us to put on our armor of God. He calls us to fight back with the word of God. And you can't do that without knowing what the word says. So if you're a Christian and you are busy, like Chris was saying before, You're if you're allowing the busyness to take you away from any kind of communication or learning and growing to know God, that's not going to help you, especially during this time. I think that with all that's going on, it would be really easy for most of us to just break right now. I would say Chris and I, um, while there are days that things get heavy and scary, of course, we're doing well because we Are staying in the Word and we are putting our trust in God, but if I look back to postpartum depression in 2017, I thought I was too busy. We would go to church most Sundays, but you know, if we didn't feel like it, we didn't go. And uh, because I had two little babies, I just felt like I was too busy. I'm too busy to read. I don't know where to start in the Bible. I don't know what to read. This doesn't make me feel instantly better, Mm -hmm. and that. Sort of busyness is absolutely like Chris said, a distraction from the enemy because if you're already saved, um if you're already saved, God's word says you know he won't let you go, but that doesn't mean that the enemy can't wreck your life and mm-hmm. so that was a big part of my postpartum depression during that time. I was too busy for God, I wasn't spending any time with him. Mm-hmm. My prayers were just casual, like, hey, forgive me for looking at that or forgive me for getting drunk, I feel bad, but you know I'll probably do it again um, not hating the sin that I was in and not spending time really understanding God and his word and what he says because I had, and again, you guys are gonna probably hear this and you're be like, y'all you are crazy. I had intrusive thoughts back then. I had, you know, the the stereotypical you hear voices in your head, not like audibly, but you have thoughts when you when you have this deep depression, some people go through where you have what's called intrusive thoughts. And they are literally you're thinking things but you know that that's not you thinking them if that makes any sense at all if you've ever experienced this you know I'm talking about if you haven't again you probably think I'm psychotic but you don't want to think these things and I think a lot of people experience it maybe they don't want to admit it where you just randomly think like it could be as easy as like I have no idea why but sometimes at a movie theater I'm like kick the back of their chair just really hard don't no. donkey kick it as hard what? as you can what would happen that's yeah. wild so not like that that's just funny that like, yeah <laughs> I have thought that before where I'm just like, what would happen if I just kick this person's chair? Maybe as hard that's as I Lena's could.
0: problem. That's when it. I, when I turn the corner that's and it. Lena just punches me right in the nads, maybe that's her problem. That's She's it. like, just wait for dad to turn the corner. And just, <laughs> just strike
1: him right. Stop.
0: Nuts. What sin is in her life? <laughs>
1: no, okay. I, that was, that was, I'm just turning light in the mood. That's funny. But no, I did. I did. I, I would have one of the worst days I ever experienced. This is when I go back to, we lived at our townhouse it's when Chris was working 24-7, our baby didn't sleep, our toddler was in the terrible toddler stage, um, and I was at my deepest, darkest, lowest point of postpartum depression. I can remember having an absolute breakdown and I was sitting outside. We had a pond out front of our place and I was sitting out there sobbing and I was looking at the water and I had these thoughts of just jump in, just jump in. Don't try to swim, just jump in. And I I did not. I knew mentally I was not truly suicidal. I knew I didn't actually want to do that. I knew I was actually terrified of drowning. That's the, the like one of the, my biggest fears of dying because that's just seems like the worst way to die. But there was a voice in my head saying, "Just go. Like you're a terrible mom. Your family will be better with off, better off without you." There's the water right there. Nobody'll even know. Just jump in. That's terrible. It, it's terrible to say out loud. Um, but that's what I'm talking about is the, I believe now, after reading Bondage Breaker, especially, and, and and seeing where I'm at now, I believe that those thoughts were um, a, a demonic type oppression. Um, because I don't know if you know this, but Christians, I don't think can be possessed, but they can be oppressed, right?
0: Mm, I'm not sure. I'm pretty
1: sure. But those voices were not mine. I knew I didn't want to die but that was not the first time that a voice in my head told me I don't need to be here. My family would be better off without me. Mm. And, um, of course that's what the enemy would want you to think. And so Mm. all, all of that to say, um, I can combat stuff now. So let's fast forward a little bit. We're on our fifth baby. We had our fourth one last year, I was worried about postpartum depression because of my experiences. It's gotten better each time and there's a lot of things that contribute to it, but I would say one of the biggest ones are the spiritual side now. I know how to fight because there's been times where something has popped in my head again, for instance, um we have a gun. <laughs> mm-hmm. We own a gun and that was another thing that happened back then of thoughts, but there's been times where I've seen that gun, and it's triggered a memory of whenever I was at my d- deepest, darkest, and I can immediately go to God's Word and just be like, no. like I know what Jesus says about me, and I ask Him to cap- take captive my thoughts, and then I can kind of just move on. It's weird. So mm. I probably just made myself sound crazy. No,
0: I honestly, <laughs> I think so many people aren't willing to share those things. And I think at the end of the day, people go through this stuff and they feel thinking, alone. Yeah, they're feeling alone and they're feeling like no one else is experiencing this stuff. And so I I appreciate you sharing that um, because the spiritual side is so deep. And I think something that is the most interesting for us is Again, depression is not a one size fits all, but I would say spiritual was definitely the biggest problem in our lives uh, because chemically things were not as bad. Yeah, sleep wasn't as good, but you know, I, I was in fitness and we were eating a lot better and uh, all that good stuff and we didn't have we as, as many healthy. kids. Yeah. <laughs> so right. I'd say our stress is higher now. Our nutrition is worse now, just transitioning into baby number five here. Our sleep is worse now because it's kind of hit or miss with with, uh, Little Ledger right now. And um, our movement is pretty awful as well (laughs) uh, because, you know, life's busy and we're trying to figure out everything right now. So point is, chemically, I would say we are at our worst as opposed to those times. Mm -hmm. But spiritually, God has really given us victory, you victory, especially over the really intrusive thoughts and all those things because spiritually, like you said, we know how to fight. So don't discount the spiritual component that could be to blame for your depression. Part three.
1: Part three.
0: Relationships. Okay, I forgot. So, Relationships, uh, so yeah. look, the third component that could be contributing to depression outside of chemical and spiritual is relational and I'm going to break this into three categories. Number 1 would be are you isolating yourself? Because I'm telling you, you even look at the Bible, you look at David, right? He completely isolated himself. He's like, "How long, O oh Lord, will you, you know, flee from me?" He's just like, "God, where are you at?" He felt isolated. He felt like he felt like God was God wasn't even there. And and this is this is David, King, King David. David, David right? who
1: defeated Goliath as a little boy. This is, I mean, if you know nothing yeah. about the Bible, you probably heard of David and Goliath.
0: Exactly. And and there's a whole other slew of things that happened in his life, uh, but God still clung to him. But so isolation, right? We are not called to be isolated. I think that's a major distraction, a major distraction from the devil to say, look, just, just, just stay by yourself, be by yourself, be in your house, you know, live in a virtual world, play, play video games all the time, you know, totally overstimulate yourself with TV and don't build relationships. And I think that's our fear right now with the times and some, some of the signs of, Oh, we're all afraid of each other and all that stuff. Uh, because isolation is a major distraction.
1: Well, from the very, very, very beginning, God created Adam. And then he said, you know what, It's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to give him a spouse. I'm going to give him Eve. And he created Eve from Adam. So from the beginning, God tells us, I don't want you to be alone. You're supposed to do life with other people. You're supposed to. And that's why he created the church, a body of people to come together. So yeah, I think already before 2020, you were seeing more of an isolated feeling. I remember reading a study in college about how people were beginning to feel more alone. Than ever, even though they were surrounded by people, because of social media. honestly, mm. I, it's funny because I post on social media just as much as the next, but I can really see where I don't know if it was started with evil intentions, but it's definitely being used for evil. i I believe. And um it gives people this illusion that they have all these friends in this community. But then when they're at home by themselves, they feel, Isolated, they feel empty. And that is something mm-hmm. I felt again. Let's go back to when I was at my deepest, darkest state of depression. I felt like I didn't have anybody. Of course, I had my husband and my mom and my sister and stuff, but like Chris worked all the time and our relationship was really at its worst. Then we we didn't really have a connection. Chris, I think you agree, you know, you weren't exactly leading our family. Yeah. You just kinda we just were there. We were going through the motions. You guys were part of my
0: other. plan. I was like, I'm yeah. going to make a bunch of money. I'm going to whatever. And Oh, I have a wife and I have some kids and they're, they're coming along for the ride.
1: And they're at home and I see them sometimes on the weekends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, that was not when I lived close to my mom and sister. I mean, I still saw them, but uh friend wise, I felt like people didn't, we weren't in the same, you know, most of my friends didn't have kids yet. And I don't know. I just, I was very lonely. I can remember again, Uh, That one of those days during that time, going on a walk with the girls and being like, feeling this just heaviness, this hopelessness, this just terrible, I don't know, just heavy and dark, and being like, I don't have anybody I can even call to tell how I feel that will understand or that can help me work through this. I didn't have a community of people around me. We didn't have the community group that we have now that we talk about all the time. Or, you know, we went to church, but it was very like, we weren't super involved. This was when we were at the other church, like mm-hmm. three churches ago. And so I was isolated. I mean, our marriage, I, we were not one. We were lonely. We were just doing life side by side. And yeah, that was a huge, huge contributor to what we experienced. And then you look back at 2020 and suicide and anxiety, all these things are through the roof because of people being isolated and that's why, the honestly, the whole thing that says stay home, save lives makes me so angry. That little thing that people put around their profile picture or that they post the hashtag makes me so angry because it's absolutely doing the exact opposite. There's people who are still isolating themselves and that breaks my heart. And that's a whole other rant, but we weren't meant to do that. And so I look at, we had a baby in 2020 and we were not isolating ourselves from our community group or our church or our friends, or our family. And I think, again, that is a one piece to why I didn't experience huge bout of de- postpartum depression this time, yes. because we had that community. We were not doing life alone.
0: Yes, which the second piece of the relationship side is friends. It is community. And what's interesting is your isolation was also in part of you trying to build a relationship with God and your old group of friends was like, I don't want you in my life. And so you, the old friends that you partied with and hung out with that you thought had your back while, you know, you you thought these, these were the best relationships life had to offer, they kind of left you in the dust. And so you were totally isolated. Your friends were in a different season of life. They weren't having babies yet. They were still out partying and doing their thing. And you you didn't have anybody. And so now talking about the community side of things, it's like, do you have friends? And the second piece of that is is your community seeking growth and spiritual growth and important, powerful, you know, pieces of our lives that like just totally change us you do know they lift
1: you up or do they pull you into exactly sin or are they like eh? have a couple of drinks it's not that big of a deal or do this or take a shot or you know right. it's not a big deal to look at this or that you know what right. i mean what what kind of friendships are you allowing in your life because i agree and once you start when you go from a life of like i was um partying and very much so living for myself and not for god i was living for the world i cared about how i looked and i cared about who I was around and, and that kind of stuff and drinking and all that, all that. When you go from that to seeking God and starting to even, even mention the word sin, a lot of people are like, Oh, retract They're Like, I don't want to, I don't want anything to do with that. You're judgy. You're this, you're that you've changed. And yeah, yeah, that definitely, that transition is lonely though. <laughs> that transition sure. is like, okay, do I hold on to, These friendships, even though they don't bring out the best in me, um, because otherwise I won't have friends, or do I go through this season of loneliness not knowing if I'll ever have that? So I'm here to say, I went through that season of transition and loneliness, and it was really hard, but God, because I believe, because I got in the Word and really tried to seek Him, He was faithful and He answered with the best group of friends that we could have ever asked for that cannot imagine doing 2020, 2021 without them around. Um, And so hopefully if you're in that transition season of loneliness, you're not alone. You're not truly alone and there is hope, um, I would say...
0: Pray about it too, Pray right? It. Yeah. Like literally, go to God and like, God, I am isolated. You know, I, look, I need friends. I look, if it is in God's will, He hears us. Okay. Yeah. God has the best plan for us, far better than we could even imagine. And if we truly trust that, do you think God's gonna be like, yeah, you, I'm probably not gonna put put friends in your life. Yeah, right. (laughs) So, come on. But you also have to be willing to
1: take a step in the direction of putting yourself outside your comfort zone. I know some people are like, I don't have friends, but then they don't.
0: Yeah, they're not just going to magically appear at your doorstep. I mean, they might, but for the most part, I wouldn't plan on that.
1: No, but it's probably the best to maybe, if you're not going to church, find a church to get involved in a community group. Those kinds of places um, are the best place to start, but you might have to put yourself out of your comfort zone a little.
0: You will definitely have to put yourself out of your comfort zone for sure.
1: Which we did when we decided to yes. host a community group and we're like, okay, strangers are going to come to our house and hopefully we like them.
0: Right. Right. <laughs>
1: okay. I still haven't told that story actually.
0: Uh, I feel like we did when we talked about. Well, no, I mean, we haven't, episode.
1: we haven't told the story of how oh, yeah. weird our community group is. We still is. need to
0: have Joey and Kelsey on the on the podcast. We really all of we them. We have all a, the a ways bunch. our
1: friendship. Yes. Our group came together very oh, for sure. for divinely
0: sure. orchestrated. So, yes. Okay. So isolation, isolation, community, friends, right? That's a piece of relationships. And then guys, this is the pinnacle, right? It is. What is my relationship like with God? In other words, am I loving God and hating sin? Does the habitual sin exist in my life? Am I spending time with God? What is my relationship like? And a massive part of the puzzle is that you look at certain points of Christianity where they're like, look, when you become a Christian, like life's good. You get rich, and God gives you all this stuff, and there is no suffering, and God doesn't want you to be sick, and God doesn't want you to suffer, and blah, 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 blah. And I, I, I used to you know be all over that stuff. Like, yeah, who wouldn't want that? you know, fluffy who Christianity, God. who wouldn't, who wouldn't want the God who Prosperity. heals every time I ask and who, who wouldn't want the God that makes me filthy rich and you know, all that stuff, right? Well, check it out. So something very, very interesting that we need to understand. It's in the bathroom. Sorry. <laughs> so you asked me a question. I'm telling you okay so so something that we need to understand is that all over the Bible the Bible' is riddled with suffering sucks right the Bible is i mean there is there is a whole book called Lamentations right where you know just we're lamenting right there is there is there's sadness and grief there is uh you know you look at you look at David's life and all the depression that he dealt with and all that stuff so I'm in large part saying finding god is not going to be like woo here we go like everything i ever wanted is going to happen no right in fact something that i thought was really really powerful is so there's a guy oh, i got to find this there's a guy by the name of Jeremy Pierre from uh, Southern Seminary he's an associate professor of biblical counseling and oh man this video was so good but basically the pressing question was, can you be a Christian and still experience depression, right? And I mean, I told you Elijah and David, and there's so many people in the Bible that did experience depression. So yeah, of course. And his point here is, look, the regular experience of a follower of God is not merely positive emotion. And scripture tells us that. And based on scripture, negative emotions are necessary to the Christian experience, right? So This really brought it home for me, and I really hope this brings it home for you. So, Jeremy was talking about how, how, look, Romans 8 speaks about a broken world that's having a response to its brokenness, the groaning, the waiting to be set free from its corruption. So, Christians should not feel guilty about depression, right? This does not mean always that our faith is weak. It sometimes does, right? Right? but it does not always mean that our faith is weak, okay? And this actually changed a lot of my opinions because in preparation for this episode, I'm thinking to myself like, yeah, your faith's probably weak if you're depressed because our experience was our faith was weak, right? Uh, spiritually, things weren't going well. The Each component mattered, but spiritually, things weren't going well for us. But when you look into this, and like Jonathan said in the very beginning, depression is not a one-size-fits-all. And for that reason we ask the question, you know, does this mean my faith is weak? And it's not, not always, you know what I mean? Not always. So I think the most powerful thing that has kind of occurred to me through preparation of this episode is truthfully, what are we putting our hope in? Because if in large part people like Jeremy Pierre say like, look, I've counseled people and I've dealt with people in depression. And usually it stems from, You know, my hope was in this person and they failed me. Mm. Or my hope was in this thing I was trying to achieve and it failed me. Or I achieved this thing and it didn't it didn't produce what I thought it was gonna produce, or I didn't have that feeling. You know, I've said this several times. I remember I had a financial goal for my business. I was like, ooh, this is my financial goal. And I hit it and I sat there and I looked at my system and I saw the number there and I was like, okay. you know it did not do what i thought it would do because my marriage was still broken at home i didn't have uh i didn't have a uh you know strong relationship with my kids like i wanted i wasn't you know seeking god and his will for my life on a regular basis you know trying to spend time with him and stuff like there were still so many things missing in my life and um i think it's just amazing because we look at depression and the truth is like it is usually because the root of the root of the root of the root is we're finding our hope in something. It's it, it's it's self-image. I have to be healthy and fit. Guess what? I've had a six pack for like fifteen years. Okay, <laughs> and I still got depressed. You know, Donna had a rockin' bod when she was a college cheerleader, and she still got depressed. Right? Like we have we've had uh, a family that loved us and took care of us. And we still found depression.
1: We got the house and the the spouse and the kids. And 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 the healthy
0: kids and all that stuff. And depression still knocks at the door. Yeah. (laughs) So many, so many things. And I think at the end of the day, like I said, and I'll say it again, it's there are things that could be contributing to our depression. The chemical piece, we've got to check the box, right? You've got to look at your sleep, your stress, your nutrition, your movement. The spiritual side. You've got to look. What habitual sin exists in my life? Am I loving God and hating sin? Like, do these things exist, right? But what is my relationship like with God? Like, am I truly seeking God? And it doesn't mean everything's going to work out, like, just magically. This is not the prosperity movement. But at the end of the day, what has my hope been in this whole time? Because something I'll say, and I'll let you, you kind of wrap this up because I feel like I'm rambling, but Something I will say is the truth is, because our faith and our trust truly is in Jesus to the nth degree, anything could happen to us, and our hope still remains in the eternal hope we have in relationship with Jesus and being in eternity in heaven together. Anything could happen. I I don't want to claim those things. I don't you also I, say you're putting I, I a don't, target on back. I, I don't want those things to happen. But right. but what I'm saying is like. You take my job tomorrow, and I'm not going to be like, oh, my hope was in my job. No. You take my family. I'm not going to be like, my hope was in my family, right? Vice versa. You take one of us. Our hope was not in those places because God filled that void for us. And I just want to encourage you, if you're in a place of depression and frustration and a lack of hope, that has been, (laughs) I mean, the key to the castle, man. I do I feel like you just put a target
1: on our back. I'm not I'm not putting
0: a target on our back. I know. I'm just saying like there's there's no, an, an eternal true. hope. And
1: and I and I know somebody somebody listening could be like okay but if you're not experiencing that you don't really sure. know. And it's true. I mean we we don't know how we would immediately be impacted if something tragic happened. We have gone through a lot not in our immediate family as much but in our outside family over the last few years. Well, I take that back. When we went through our lowest as far as career wise and not having not knowing how we were going to pay our mortgage in twenty twenty, that was pretty tough, but we mm-hmm. our hope was not in our money or in our home or anything and and God really worked on our hearts during that time of just really having an eternal mindset. I think that 's what it comes down to is just thinking about the fact that our lives here on earth are just a blip, just a little bitty blip on the radar of eternity. And when you're going through the hardest of hard, that doesn't matter probably. That's just like, okay, cool, but this is hard right now and this hurts. But God somehow, some way, always provides. And I think that's the point is no matter what He would take us through, we don't want to go through those things, of course, but no matter what we go through, we know that if we're staying close to Him and we're staying in the Word and we're staying in prayer, He's going to help us through. He's going to show us new things. He's going to work it out for our good. No, for His good. And that's where our hope lies. And so depression is, I feel like, inevitable these days, honestly, because we are so overstimulated, because we are so distracted, because our food and stuff is so overprocessed. Um, there's so many
0: reasons. Yeah, and when i getting sleep and yeah, all that stuff.
1: So I feel like depression, some form of depression really is inevitable for most people these days. And I think my biggest thing that I want you to take away from this is just a hope that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, again, take me back a few years ago and I didn't know these things. I didn't, I just thought I was broken. I just thought I was broken and I was going to have to give my kids the life of a depressed mom who didn't feel the joy I always thought I would feel because I always wanted to be a mom. So somebody who's always wanted to be a mom gets hit with postpartum depression. It's very, um, uh, it feels really unfair. It feels like a slap in the face. Cause I'm like, this isn't what I, this isn't how I thought it would be. And isn't that why we usually get into the moods we get into is because of missed expectations. Like, yes. This isn't what yes. I thought it would look like. Yes. Like again, and I marriage, know marriage, marriage, right? Yeah. It's like
0: Oh man, I, here's what I thought. Here were my expectations. And then, whoa, wait a second. This, this is way different. I didn't, I didn't expect this to happen or kids, you know, uh, there's a large community of people that put their hope in having babies because they're infertile, and like we we so badly are praying for people to have those babies and all that stuff. But don't put your hope in they your don't kids. Don't don't put your hope in your kids. We've got four of them, almost five of them, and we're and we're telling you they're little sinners. <laughs> they're <Yeah>. hard, man. <laughs>
1: Well, again, though, but that, but but again, that's just, what, what what did we work towards? I can remember just always saying, okay, I go to college, I get a job, I find a husband, have the kids. And I never thought any further past what that looked like. And so, you know, when you're thinking happily ever after type expectations, and then you go through what we went through the first few years of our marriage, I'm like, God, this isn't what I thought it was going to be like. And I know most people have actually, everybody has probably said, "Ugh." this is not what I expected. This is not what I expected motherhood to be like. This is not what I expected marriage to be like, et cetera, et cetera, So I just really want you to know there is hope outside of your circumstances. It doesn't, and it doesn't have to be found in living on medication for the rest of your life or just living, oh, this is, my brain's just broken. Like, that's not true. Again, I'm not a doctor, but I'm saying it's not true. And there are things you can do. And there's just, always
0: a route to the problem. There's a root. Always. Yeah. Not nothing just magically appears. There's always a route to a problem. Always. Right. So, so again, when when we audit these things, the chemical piece, when we audit the spiritual piece, when we audit the relational piece, I promise you, nine times out of ten, it's gonna exist in these three areas. Yeah. I mean, it has to. It it
1: has to. Yeah. So I think that's the best thing. If if you were just like, I didn't know I was depressed or I thought I might be depressed. And you guys said some things that I've felt before. I felt that hopelessness. I felt that heaviness. I felt that not really wanting to get out of bed or not really wanting to interact or I'm lonely or whatever that looks like. Do this. Start looking at those things. How are you feeding yourself? Maybe you don't even know. Maybe you're like, I didn't even know that this was affecting me. Negatively, I really, really recommend the functional medicine route of getting testing done to see what your body likes and and doesn't like. Because that was a huge eye opener to me. Even though, admittedly, pregnant, Jana has not followed that. That's probably why (laughs) I'm more unstable some days than not.
0: Amen. 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 We didn't really talk about hormones. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Don't
1: you say amen? I have been great this pregnancy. Did you just
0: say we didn't talk about hormones? Like, I mean, that was the whole chemical piece.
1: I know, but we didn't specifically talk about just. The fact that me being pregnant on and off for the last seven years right. has probably the hormonal impact Girl, of that. You're a roller coaster. I am a roller coaster
0: of love. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, Anyways, okay. I wasn't so, done. Okay, go ahead. But now I forget what I was going to say. Well, good. Because I was ready to talk. I'm <laughs> kidding. Okay. So <laughs> I'm kidding, but really let me talk. But really let me talk. All right. So again, toward the end of this, When we're talking about our relationship, the isolation, the community, and then our relationship with God, really the biggest piece of the puzzle is asking the question, what am I hoping in that failed me? What am I hoping in that failed me? What is my hope in now that I'm hoping to get happiness from? Telling you, we've covered a lot of these boxes personally ourselves in our 30 to 33 years for Uh you, Donna. She's about to be 33 in six days. Anyway. He knows. I know. Okay. And. At the end of the day, the data shows, my goodness, full surrender in Jesus and hope in His promises will deliver us from this. And and a caveat here: if we are depressed, Randy Alcorn talks about this. He says, "Look, people can be depressed, still reading their Bible, <laughs> still still focusing on on these attributes, right? And and there's a possibility." that this is a method of suffering that God has ordained in your life. But if this is the case, ask God to walk through this with you. Ask him to sit in this with you. Lean on him through your depression. It's not a one-size-fits-all. I would say this is the most rare approach because truthfully, if we look at all these things and you're checking all these boxes, find me somebody who's checking all these chemical boxes And who is checking all these spiritual boxes and relational boxes and hope and all that stuff. And tell me how depressed they are. I I would say it's rare, but I I think it is possible, right? Through certain oppression. So asking God to sit in that with us, because the last thing Jeremy Pierre says, I think it's beautiful. He says, the Lord is my light, is most precious from a place of darkness.
1: Mm.
0: What a beautiful way to end that, Chris. Because it is true.
1: It's If everything's going good on the outside, it's very easy to just kind of push God to the side and be like, yeah, yeah, like I'll go to you whenever I need you. So it's true when you sit in that darkness and he can take it. Just like you said, he had Elijah come to the cave and just spill it to him. He can take it. So there it is.
0: There it is. Hopefully we, hopefully we did some justice to it. It was a, it was a heavy topic. And uh, again, this is our perspective guys. Uh, we, we want you to pray about discernment on what routes you should take. Uh, I don't think it's irresponsible for us to say, look into these things, audit these things before you dive into the, uh, the, you know, medication piece.
1: Just ask questions. Yeah. I mean, we're not saying medications, evil don't ever take an antidepressant. We're saying from personal experience all it did for me was uh, it numbed all of my emotions. I don't even know if I said that piece, but it numbed me completely. I didn't feel anything. And that was a scary place to be because even things that I knew mentally, this should make me sad. This should make me, I should care about this. I didn't. I was very just neutral, numb, zombie-like. And that's, that's not the case for everybody. And I'm sure there are some people who are like, no, I truly need this. And that's, that's, that's up to you and God to decide or you and your doctor. But I would just encourage you to know that if you're somebody like how I was, you didn't want to live on medication. You wanted to actually fix what was causing the problems. Like you can, you can do that. You can ask questions. You can seek other opinions and um, it doesn't always have to be that. Thanks so much for listening to the Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage podcast. If this episode brought you some hope that you don't have to live in a state of depression, please go share it with somebody. I know in 2021, there are so many people who need a bit of hope. Um, And don't forget to text us. You can text us at 513-620-4333. Give us feedback. Give us a review. Ask us a question. Let us know how we can pray for you, whatever that looks like. We love to hear from you. And so send us a message. Thanks, guys.